Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers chapter 27. Numbers 27. Now, if you remember last week, we looked at the second census. Okay, the second census. This is the generation that's going to pass into the promised land. The first generation is going to die in the wilderness. And so we kick off here in chapter 27, the book of Numbers. Let's look at verse 1. He says, then came the daughters, then came the daughters. Remember, we studied that last week, the, the, the five daughters of Zelophehad, Zelophehad, who had no sons. That was from chapter 26, verse, 20, uh, verse 33. Zelophehad had no, had no sons. So he just has these five daughters, beautiful, beautiful daughters. And so he says here, then came the, then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, from the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And these were the names of his daughters, Mela, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah. Okay, five daughters, no sons of Zelophehad. And they stood before Moses. You know, there's something very interesting that we're going to see happen here. Because notice, where, where are the, the male covering of these five daughters? Where is their male covering? And you're going to see an Old Testament picture here of something incredibly beautiful here. And you're going to see the boldness of these daughters. They're descendants of Joseph. Descendants of Joseph and they're standing before Moses and the high priest. Remember, we see, we see Moses as a type of Christ, and then also uh, 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 the high priest, Eleazar, uh, Aaron, as also a type of Christ. I say high priest as the type of Christ, because in Christ, we have a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. All these things, a shadow of the things to come. And so you see these five daughters of Zelophehad, and it says here in verse 2, And they stood before Moses, before Eleazar the priest, and before the leaders and all the congregation by the, by the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness. Now, you remember last week when we looked at uh, uh, Zelophehad. We look at Zelophehad. We, 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 we made mention of Zelophehad. You know, it's like, you know, he, he has that acknowledgement of, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, he, he, the, the, the earth didn't open up and consume the tent of Zelophehad. Because, so you see like, okay, he was a partaker in the rebellion of Korah. Okay, you know, maybe he tells his daughters, you know, hey, baby girls, come over here. Baby girls, come over here. This guy, Korah, don't believe what he says. Yes, he's in the priesthood, but he teaches crazy things. Don't believe what he says. And his daughters, okay, Papa. Okay, Papa, we're not going to do that. But we're going to see here, it's like, okay, is, is that good enough for Zelophehad? This is what they say in verse 3. Our fathers died in the wilderness, but he, and, but he was not in the company of those who, gathered, who, those who gathered together against the Lord in the company of Korah. So you see here, you know, you have this gathering, the, the company that was gathered uh, 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 together with Korah. And you see how this translates in the Hebrew is there's an assembly, a congregation. But notice their position in the Lord is opposed to him. Their position in the Lord is in opposition to the things of the Lord. And these are things that are going to be like very hardcore in the last days because you're going to see assemblies, congregations, and everybody's crying out, unity, unity, unity. But 
Unity into what? Unity unto whom? Is it unity for the sake of unity? Or is it unity for the name of Christ? You're going to hear people cry out, unity, unity, unity. And it's already happening. The mother of harlots who has daughters crying out, unity, 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 unity. But unity for the sake of unity is poison. Unity for the name of the Lord, that's beautiful. You see, unity, unity, Korah, you know, uh, stoking the fires, the flames of this rebellion. And you see unity amongst these followers of Korah, but they're in rebellion to the Lord. And the Lord responded. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. The Lord reacted. And he swallowed up their homes, swallowed up their tents. Men, women, children, male, female, everybody. The earth opened up and boom, they were gone. And so you see, wow, Zelophehad, wow, that's so cool. He, didn't, he wasn't a partaker in, in Korah, what was going on with Korah. Praise be to the Lord. And yes, praise be to the Lord. But look at the end of verse 3 here. But he died in his own sin. He died in his own sin. Very interesting. Zelophehad could discern Korah's error. You know, in not partaking with Korah. Even warning his daughters, hey, baby girls, don't listen to Korah. He's crazy town. He teaches craziness. But he himself had his own battles. You see? And for his daughters, you know, you know, Papa was right in this regard. But in this other regard, he's in error. You see? It's, it's very important that as we grow together in Christ, we apply the word of the Lord in our lives. Not just a little portion, not just a little bit here, not just a little bit there. Everywhere. In all aspects of our lives. You and me together. In all areas of our lives. Say you're a brand new believer. I say praise be to the Lord. What you know, you apply in your life. And you might just know a little bit, and that's okay. You apply it in your life. You know, it would be foolish to expect a kindergartner to, you know, pass a, 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 a chemistry exam, a, a, chemistry, a lab exam. It would be foolish to take a preschooler and, and put him or her in a laboratory, put on your little goggles. The goggles are huge because his face is small. All kinds of chemicals and say, okay, here's your exam. You got to mix this and you got to make this. Do you know how foolish that is? It would be foolish and not just foolish. It would be dangerous. But in the course of time, that preschooler is going to mature and grow and enter kindergarten, first grade, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, all of a sudden is going to advance and mature and gain this knowledge so that at some point in time, he or she is going to be able to pass that test, be eligible for that test, but to pass the test. But for that 
child to pass the test at, 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 in preschool, it would be foolish. The expectation of that is foolishness. So if you're a brand new believer, you're a babe in Christ, don't be discouraged. Stay obedient to the word. You say, I don't know the word. That's fine. Stay obedient to what you do know. And then let us mature together. You stay in the word. And we mature. And then you're going to go preschool, kindergarten, you know, metaphorically speaking, academically. Second grade, third, fourth, fifth, and you're going to mature. You're going to understand deeper things. Now, as you understand these deeper things, you have to apply these things in your life. You stay obedient to him. Don't just stay obedient to him for, you know, what you're learning in fifth grade. Stay obedient to what you've learned in preschools, kindergarten, first, second, third, fourth, and, you know, and fifth. And stay obedient to all of it. Now, people would say, oh, that's legalism, that's legalism. No, it's not legalism. It's obedience unto the Lord. Now, I say stay, stay obedient to all of it, but you're going to have problems the same way I have problems. It's in those moments where we, we repent. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. You're going to be in fifth grade and make a mistake from you know your third grade education. The same way I do. You're going to be in 10th grade and make a mistake from your first grade education. The same way I do. It's in those moments where you and me both together, we repent. Lord, forgive me. It's not just, okay, let's be obedient in this area and in this other area. Let's go crazy. Let's go wild in this area. Let's be obedient here and here and here. And then let's go crazy in this area. That's the duplicity that we studied on Sunday. That's not a good thing. Because to have a testimony of conscience is beautiful. Beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. Do you remember when we started our study in Leviticus? And I pose the challenge to us, not just to you, to us. That from that day forward, and if you forgot, from this day forward, start thinking of our lives together, not just you alone. Together, start thinking of your life as an aroma before the Lord. Now, what do you want to present to Him? What type of aroma do you want to be? Something beautiful? Or do you want to be a stench? Do you want to be, you know, the smell of the rose? Or do you want to be the stench of a skunk? I'm talking about the stench of a skunk. I like skunks are kind of cute. I like skunks. The looks, you know. The smell, I'm not so much a fan of. What is it that you want to present to the Lord? And I don't care, you know, outward appearance. I don't care about any of that age you're wrinkly, you're young, and you, you know you don't know the Bible, you're old and you're wrinkly. I don't care about any of that. I'm talking about your obedience. The aroma that you present to the Lord. Is it going to be a stench or is it going to be something so incredibly beautiful? 
And that's a choice that you have to make. The same way I have a choice to make. But yet the challenge remains for you and me both. And we have this example of Zelophehad where it's like, wow, Zelophehad, you protected your family. You protected your daughters from Korah. And your tent wasn't swallowed up by the earth. When the Lord opened, the, uh, opened up the earth, your tent was intact because you were refrained from Korah. You refrained yourself from those teachings of Korah, that rebellion that he stoked those flames. But this I have against you, Zelophehad. You see, he died in his own sin. It reminds me of Revelation chapter 2 and 3, how the Lord speaks of seven churches. Seven churches. This, you know, I love this about you. I love this about you. But this I have against you. You need to repent. There's only two churches that didn't have to repent. Philadelphia. Which a lot of people like to point to. Oh yeah, Philadelphia, look at the promises we have in us. But don't forget Smyrna. Don't forget Smyrna. These are the two churches where you don't see repent in Revelation 2 and 3. The rest, they have to repent. But this I have against you. Look at those numbers. Two out of seven. The remnant. You see? All throughout the Bible, we see these remnants. Remnants of the Old Testament, remnant of the New Testament. And a remnant for the age to come. Zelophehad, he was beautiful in this area from protecting his home from Korah. Protecting his beautiful daughters. He had no sons. And protecting his beautiful daughters from Korah. But yet he died in his own sin. What was that sin? I don't know. But he died in his own sin. Now I have something to say to a younger generation. I don't know how young you are. But to the younger generation. Maybe even to the older generation. I don't know. I guess I'll just lay it out there for everybody. If your parents are straight up crazy. You stand. If your parents have entered crazy town, you see the works of the flesh, you see the fruit of the flesh, you see the fruit of their own doing, they're entering crazy town doctrinally. Usually when you see crazy town, when you see the works of, of, of the flesh in you know a bad fruit form, that is more than likely, 98% of the time, it is a byproduct of false doctrine. Where there is false doctrine, destruction, you know, ruin, it shortly follows. In some cases, it quickly follows. In some cases, it's, it's more of a slowly introduced But I still blame the pastors. I still blame the teachers. 
Because you may hearken to our studies in for the Corinthians, for the Corinthian church, our study through First Corinthians. Where were the elders? Where were the pastors? You see their state of defunctness, and then look at the fruit of, of the flesh, the bad fruit of the flesh in Corinth. Look at what happened in Corinth. This division that happened in Corinth. Anybody named a brother, you see. I blame the pastors. I blame the teachers, so-called teachers. Defunct pastors, defunct elders, I blame them. For Corinth and also for today. Because how will the people know? You see, that's why you have to be a Berean. Even more so in these... I mean, even if we were, if we were studying 100 years ago, 200 years ago, you have to be a Berean. But even more so in these last days, you have to be a Berean because there is crazy town all over the place. All over the place. I'm terrified for the church. The things that people subject their ears to. Teachings of man, people who teach things which they ought not to teach. They might look like they have this knowledge, but they don't have the knowledge. Because biblical knowledge emanates from the Bible, no other place. In that regard, I mean, it's kind of easy. I mean, I could talk to a first grader and say, you know, how do you learn the Bible and the first grader from the Bible? I could talk to a preschooler. I could talk to pre-preschool. I don't know what that is, but pre-preschool. And say, you know, hey, what? How do you know the Bible? And this child doesn't even know, you know, five times five. And you ask this child, how do you know the Bible? And that child would so beautifully say, from the Bible. You see, even the youngest of hearts can understand this basic truth. You know, if your parents have gone off into crazy town, look at these beautiful daughters of Zelophehad. And then also notice their boldness. No male covering. Their father died in the wilderness as a result of his own sins. So what did they do? They stood, look at verse 2, they stood before Moses, before Eliezer the priest and before the leaders. No period. And all the congregation. That's hardcore. <laughs> That's hardcore. Look at their beautiful boldness. And so in their boldness, they have this valid claim. What do we do? We, we weren't partakers of Korah. And our dad died in his own sin. We didn't do anything. They have no male covering. What do they do? Remember our study last week in chapter 26? The, these inheritances, everything was divvied out for the inheritance or the rule, the, the, the statute given for, you know, the divvying out of these uh, inheritance for this generation that's going to pass into the promised land. But what of these five women, these five daughters of Zelophehad? What do they do? 
Look at verse 4. Why should the name of our father be removed or scraped off? Is how it translates in the Hebrew. Why should the name of our father be scraped off from among his family? This is mishpacha in the Hebrew. Mishpacha, it's tribe. Tribe. And all they say here, because he has no son. Now, do they not have a claim? Do they not have, is there no validity to their statement, to their claim? Notice, all of the previous generation, all of the previous generation, I'll say it again, all of the previous generation, save two, save two, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Those are the only two from the first generation that passed through the promised land. The only two, Caleb and Joshua. Why? Because they stood for the Lord. They were bold before the Lord. Another example of the remnant. Just as Caleb and Joshua, you know, you know the two in Caleb and Joshua, we have a New Testament example. Philadelphia and Smyrna, also two. You see? You say, wait a second, Philadelphia and Smyrna, but you know, they're the, uh, uh, the first generation has to die. Yes, amen. But they were already dead. <laughs> you see? Caleb and Joshua, they already made their choice. When all the congregation wanted to deny the Lord and go back to Egypt, they said, no way. You see? And now look. Back then, they were made, made fun of. Caleb, Joshua, you're so stupid. Look, the majority says this. Now look, the majority of that first generation, dead. Not all of them, but they're dying. The first generation must die. It's the second generation. And even in Caleb and Joshua, we have this example of the promises of the Lord for the church age. You see, why? Why should the name of our father, they say in verse 4, of these five beautiful daughters, Mela, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah, descendants of Manasseh, you see, descendants of Joseph with his Gentile wife. You see, all because he had no son. Why is this? Look at this boldness. You know how hardcore that is, especially for this particular time period to, to stand for a female to stand before Moses and, and Eleazar like this. Just that alone with no male covering, no, no father, no husband. It's not a brother. It's not, you know, Zelophehad has no sons. So, you know, there was no male to, to, to make this claim. I mean, just that, I'm, when I say boldness, it's not boldness like, you know, prideful. It's boldness plus humility. beautiful it blows me away 
Mela, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza. Beautiful. Beautiful. This is what they say in verse 4. Give us a possession among our father's brothers. See? Remember, in chapter 26, verse 53, the land was divided by tribe. The land was divided by the number in a tribe. Does this mean that the daughters of Zelophehad have no claim to that? Does that mean that they just become forgotten? There is definitely validity to their claim. And it's so beautiful what we see happen here. Especially with Moses. I mean, yeah, especially with the five daughters, but also with Moses. In verse 5, so Moses brought their case before the Lord. I'm so in love with, with Moses. I'm so in love with these five daughters. Moses brought their case before the Lord. You see, even Moses himself, an Old Testament example of Moses surfing. <laughs> you see, Moses riding the wave himself. Remember, we studied that a couple Sundays ago. Might have been last Sunday, but I, I think a couple Sundays ago. As I get older, you know, I might say, you know, we, I just say, start saying, we studied that recently on a Sunday. An Old Testament example of Moses surfing because he's riding the wave. He takes their case before the Lord. In order for Moses to take their case before the Lord, he has to have intimacy. And we've seen, we've studied. How many times have you heard us say, look at this intimacy, 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 Moses in the cloud, intimacy, intimacy, intimacy. And he takes their case before the Lord. A hardcore message for pastors and elders and teachers today. Ministry leaders. In your own intimacy with the Lord. Because you're going to have all kinds of issues pop up. There's this, there's that, and it's, Lord, what do I do? You go on your face before the Lord, Lord, what do I do? Look, this situation has arisen. Now, there might be times, as the Lord did with Moses, as the Lord did with Joshua, there might be times where the Lord says, what are you doing? Why are you on your face? Why are you there is sin in the camp, just as he did with the sin of Jacob. Or the sin of Achan. With Joshua, with Moses. Why are you praying to me, Moses? I told you to go. Why are you praying to me, Joshua? There's sin in the camp. You take your case before the Lord. If you're a pastor, if you're in ministry, if you're serving in overseer and shepherd capacity, there might be times where the Lord just straight up says, why are you coming to me with this? There is sin in the camp. That has to be dealt with. That sin has to be dealt with. Maybe it's your own sin. Maybe it's the sin of another. Maybe it's the sin of somebody in the congregation, in the fellowship. And you might be afraid to tell a person about this sin, this works of the, whatever work of the flesh. You might be afraid to even bring it up. 
But it's much better to fear the Lord instead of fearing man. If you're in ministry, if you're if you serve as overseer or in a shepherd capacity, elder or pastor, you have to fear God over man. You must. This beautiful intimacy that Moses had, he takes their case before the Lord. Lord, what do I do? It wasn't just flat out like, you know, oh, you women, get out of here. You're just female. Get out of here. You have no male covering. Get out of here. No, you see boldness on, and humility on both ends. You see it with Mela, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza. You see this beauty on their end. But then you also see this beauty on the end of Moses as well. Humility. Boldness before the Lord and humility. Because Moses doesn't just flat out, you know, hey, ladies, get out of here. What are you doing here? This is, this is for men only. No. He goes before the Lord in verse 6, and the Lord spoke to Moses. <clears throat> Remember, God is reactionary. God is reactionary both for the bad and also for the good. Also for the good, which we're going to study more in Deuteronomy. The blessings of obedience and the curse of disobedience. The Lord is reactionary. And we're going to study that hardcore in Deuteronomy. You do bad, this is what the Lord, this is how the Lord is going to react. You do good, this is how the Lord is going to respond. On some cursing, on some blessing. You know, on some cursing, on others blessing. The choice is theirs to make. And for today, the choice is yours to make. The choice is mine to make. Do I choose obedience or disobedience? Do you choose obedience or disobedience? Let us be a people, a people of the way who chooses obedience. And where there is disobedience, let us be a people who repents before the face of the Lord. You see? This is what the Lord says to Moses in verse 7. The daughters of Zelophehad speak what is right. They speak what is right. You know, I have to say something about this feminist movement we see today. Oh, I don't believe the Bible. That's, uh, you know, that uh, down with the patriarchy, down with the patriarchy. You know what I say? Get a new patriarch. Because the patriarch that you think that you've been exposed to, maybe even your own dad, your own earthly dad, maybe he was a poor example of a patriarch. Get a new patriarch. His name is Jesus Christ. You see the rise of this feminist movement, which is witchcraft. It's straight up witchcraft. You know, uh, parents send their daughters to college. They go to university. Higher learning, they call it. Which, you know, arguably I'd call it, you know, debased learning. They're Christians. Young daughters, they go into university. They come back home and they're straight up feminists. Oh, I don't believe in Jesus Christ anymore. Or if they do believe in Jesus Christ, it's another Christ. Because down with the patriarchy, down with the patriarchy, it's straight up witchcraft. 
Read the teachings of, I, I won't advocate this, but you know, these, this, straight from the witch's mouths of today. How they use feminism, the modern day feminism, to grow their ranks, to expand their ranks. They use it as a tool. Even the witches are evangelists, not biblical evangelists, but evangelists unto witchcraft, which is also on the rise. Another sign of the times. Sorcery. Pharmakia. We're seeing the converging of all these different prophecies. And the days in which we live today. World leaders today are proposing seven-year plans already. Even the Pope. Announcing seven-year plans for world peace. Nothing's officially signed. Nothing's officially agreed upon. But already we have world leaders, religious leaders, the Pope included, announcing seven-year plans for the globe. You see? The converging of all these things for such a time as this. The modern-day feminist movement is a trap. It's a trap. It's witchcraft. That's what the witches say. The leaders of these covens, they call it. And they use feminism to attract these young college girls, even, you know, high school kids. The high school kids, the college kids, they call it feminism, feminism, you know, speak truth to power. And the leaders of these covens, they have big smiles on their faces with Satan. Big smiles on their faces because they're pulling the younger generation away from Christ. Then you have parents. They don't know how to deal with it. So what do they do? Instead of yielding to God and the Word of God and His Spirit, they yield to the child. They yield to the feminist. All you have to do is look at the fruit. And you can see it. Not so what these daughters of Zelophehad. had. You see, humility. You see their humility, you see their beauty, and you also see that of Moses when he takes their case before the Lord. The modern day feminist, oh, I don't, the Bible, that's, uh, you know, down with the patriarchy, I don't believe it. Look at the Almighty. Look at the Most High. In verse 7, the daughters, not the sons, Zelophehad had no sons. The daughters of Zelophehad, they speak what is right. See? Oh, look, their daughter spoke truth to power. No, they didn't. <laughs> That's what the tricksters say. That's what the witches of covens say. That's what Satan says. Truth to power, truth to power, truth to power. You see it? You see it on college campuses. No, humility before the Lord. 
You know, there's this saying here, your truth, your truth. The world says it. Satan says it. Your truth. If it's your truth, okay, that's fine. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There's only one truth. It's Jesus Christ. And the Word became flesh. Genesis to Revelation. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who will enter that camp? There is a door. Capital D. Who will enter the camp? The daughters of Zelophehad speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers. You see here. And cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. Do you see what's happening here? This beautiful intercession of this line, of this lineage of Zelophehad, of this lineage, their intercession, female intercession by these five daughters. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. This line was saved. This lineage of Zelophehad by the daughters. Truth to power, truth to power. Look, they're speaking truth to power. No way, that's evil. Get that thought out of your head. Truth to power, get that out of your head. Because that's pride and arrogance that Satan wants to stoke and fan. It's humility. Humility and Moses sought the Lord. Also humility. Pastors. Shepherds, overseers, also humility. If you have intimacy with the Lord, pastor, elder, you see, this modern day movement of feminism, it's poison. And it's coming into the church. I shouldn't say it's coming into the church. It's, it's entered the church. It's already here. <clears throat> Not the remnant, though. Not so with the remnant. In verse 8, And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. You see, God's blessings on obedience passes to the next generation, this generation of Zelophehad who had no sons. And you have the intercession of his five beautiful daughters. Yeah, our dad helped us in with Korah. You know, he told us to beware of Korah. Don't believe what Korah has to say. He's crazy town. But yet he died in his own sin. He has his own sin. What are we going to do? We have, no, we have no brother. We have you know, no father. We have no male covering. What are we going to do? Here's what we're going to do, sisters. We're going to go stand before Moses and Eleazar and the leaders and the congregation. You see? You see how bold that is? Just that act alone. Just the thought alone is bold. But the act, that is bold. It is beautiful. And they don't come there in pride and arrogance. They come humbly. 
Moses doesn't deal with it in pride and arrogance. He deals with it in humility. Lord, what do I do? He takes a case before the Lord. And the Lord reveals, the Lord speaks to Moses. They're right. Moses, they're right. They speak what is right. And their next generation, that lineage of Zelophehad through the daughters, they're blessed. You see? How beautiful. This feminist movement, oh, down with the patriarchy, down with the patriarchy. Get a new patriarch. Because the patriarch that you've been subjecting yourself to, if you're a feminist, is wrong. Oh, but my, the patriarch, I, I, was, I used to be a Christian. I used to go to church and, you know, they taught me this. They taught, they taught you wrong. Straight up, they taught you wrong. And if they taught you wrong, you know what that means? What you think is wrong. Get a new patriarch. Come out of her, my people. I don't care if you're a feminist. Come out of her, my people. You need Jesus Christ. You repent and you receive Jesus Christ. If that's you, if you're a feminist and you acknowledge your error, which requires humility, because that seed, that seed of feminism, it's witchcraft. You have to humble yourself. Because it likes to stoke the fan of pride and arrogance. And you need to repent or perish. The choice is yours. There's a better patriarch, capital P. There's a better patriarch. His name is Jesus Christ. You believe in him and you shall be saved. Oh, I do believe in Jesus Christ. I do believe in Jesus Christ. And you know, by the spirit of the Lord, he wants me to be a feminist. He he speaks, he, he leads me, he guides me in this feminism. Another Jesus. Not the Jesus of the Bible. That's another Jesus, another Christ that our Lord warns about. Read Matthew 24. Because the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. You need to test the spirits. You've been tricked. You've been tricked. Look at these beautiful daughters of Zelophehad. Old Testament, we're straight up in numbers. A lot of times people say, oh, I like to read the New Testament because, you know, this Old Testament is too too judgmental. It's too anti-woman. Straight up numbers. You see? Let's look at verse 9. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. Subsequent statutes that we see here as, as derivatives of a primary statute. So, you know, we have these statutes that we've looked at in, in Leviticus and Numbers. And do you remember when we were in our study in Leviticus, we made mention of, you know, you have these primary laws, but then you have subsequent laws 
as a derivatives of a primary and we gave the example of like auto the auto company that the when automobiles were started to be built at the turn of the century, you know, that automobiles started to be constructed and built. And you look at like the 19, 1915, 1920s cars, 1930s cars. You look at the, the, the safety regulation behind those cars. There was none, you know, those, I mean, some of those early cars, I mean, there's like even no casing for the, for the, no, like, uh, uh, no cockpit, you know, it's just, Open air, you know, and if you if you hit something, you're going to fly right out. You know, no windshield to hit because it's just open air. But then as cars came into production, more laws came into play. Law upon law upon law. Statute and statute upon statute upon statute. Statutes and laws as derivatives of an earlier primary law, which they themselves are earlier derivatives of a primary law. But we have that same exact thing here in the Bible. There's a primary law, and then there's also derivatives of the primary law, such as the case with these statutes. In verse 8, you shall speak to the children of Israel. So the daughters of Zelophehad speak what is right in verse 7. They speak what is right. And you shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. So you say, okay, the five daughters, they're taken care of. The five daughters, boom, you know, kind of, okay, we're good to go. But no, that's not the case. In verse 8, so the daughters of Zelophehad have been addressed. They have an inheritance. In verse 8, and you shall speak to the children of Israel. So now it goes to the camp. Remember, they're before the congregation. They're before Moses and Eleazar and, 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 and the leaders, but the congregation is there. What about the ones who were not so bold? Somebody in the congregation, maybe they themselves, maybe there was a, 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 a young couple and they haven't had some, maybe they have like, you know, three daughters and they're like kind of worried like, oh my goodness, what is going to happen to my inheritance? You know, my, my, my baby girls, they're just like, you know, 10 years old. And, but when they get older, like, you know, I'm getting old, I, you know, my wife's getting old, I can't have a son, like we can't have kids anymore. And so they, they, the daughters, it's like, what's going to happen to them? Then you have these beautiful daughters of Zelophehad, they make their case. In boldness and also humility. And now it spreads to the camp. In verse 8, And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall, pass his, you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. You see? And if he has no daughter, so all these ifs, okay? If this, then that. Just like, you know, coding. Math. If, fill in the blank, then fill in the blank and compute. Or if, and if, and if, compute, fill in the blank, and you know, it's, it's kind of basic. It's mankind that likes to complicate things. But I'll tell you a little secret. kind of easy. Why would the Lord make it difficult for you to follow him? No, it's man that makes it difficult to follow him. Now, I'm not advocating the law. 
but as students of the Bible. A lot of times people say, why, you know, why is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult? Well, why is your teacher making it difficult? It's kind of easy. Yes, in life you're going to make mistakes. Repent. Oh, I don't have to repent. You know, at 10 years old I, made, I did the altar call. I don't have to repent. Okay, you were taught wrong. You repent right here, right now. You know why? It keeps your heart soft before the Lord. kind of easy what 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 father what father would make life difficult for their children now in this world you see that happen and if that's you i'm sorry if that's you i'm it kills me that it happens and if that's you it kills me that it, it happened to you some dads Make life difficult for their kids. But you have a father in heaven. Who loves you. You see? And he made a way. Jesus Christ. And he is the one who says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Verse 9, if he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. And so you see these, you know, statute upon statute, but then you also see derivatives of statutes. Remember, the Lord himself says, you know, oh, which is the greater law, which is the greater law? And the Lord says, you know, love, Lord, love the Lord, L love God with all your heart and all your soul, and then love people as yourself. On these two hang all the law and all the prophets. On these two, God and people. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, your, your mother and brothers are here. Who are my brothers? Who is, who is my mother and who are my brothers? But those who do the will of my Father in heaven. You see? Look at our Lord himself. Had no sons, had no daughters. And yet through the law, you see the law's benefit for the church. I'm not advocating the law. But then you see the law's benefit for the church. And when I say church, I mean the remnant. All through the boldness of these five females. Very interesting how we see five females. Because... I also think of another set of five females in the New Covenant. One set are foolish and they miss the bridegroom. Another set of five are wise and they join together with the bridegroom. Now, you might be familiar with something called, it was popular about, you know, 20 years ago, 15 or so, 15 or 20 years ago, the Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code was Satan's attempt to nullify inheritance, saying that Jesus Christ had a wife and had kids. That was Satan's attempt to nullify inheritance.
not advocating the law. But even the law teaches us these things. As new covenant believers, we look to the law and we study the law. We're understanding these deeper things of this new covenant from the law. Because Jesus Christ says, I didn't come to do away with the law. So what does that say? The law is still in effect. Jesus Christ himself, our patriarch, capital P. I didn't come to do away with the law. So the law is still in effect. And we also know through our study in Romans that the law is a schoolmaster. The law is a tutor to bring people to Christ. And Jesus says, I came to fulfill the law. And the prophets. So where do you abide? Do you want to abide in the law? Because in the law is death. Listen to the schoolmaster. Listen to the tutor. And abide in Christ, the patriarch. It's the better camp. It's the camp of the Kohanim in the order of Melchizedek. You see, it's a different camp. It's a better camp. Now, I have a friend who does certain outreaches in Middle Eastern countries in Israel and If you happen to be listening and you are a Jewish rabbi, contact me. And we will discuss these matters of the law. There's a better patriarch. In verse 10, we see here, If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the relative closest to him in his family, and he shall possess it. And it shall be to the children of Israel a statute of judgment, just as the Lord commanded Moses. How beautiful is this? These beautiful, beautiful daughters of Zelophehad. Zelophehad himself was beautiful in one area when it came to the subject of Korah. Protecting his home, protecting his tent, protecting his daughters. Hey, baby girls, come over here. Korah's in crazy town. Don't believe what he says. Don't receive him. Don't, you know, he's a dangerous guy. Those who follow them, be very careful with them. Don't follow them. They're in crazy town. But this I have against you, Zelophehad. He died in his own sin, as is revealed at the end of verse 3. And he has no sons. So what are Mela, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza to do? Through their boldness and humility and through their courage. The Lord says to Moses, they speak what is right. And this lineage has an inheritance. Wow. <laughs> this is beautiful. Do you see? For you, man, I have a little something, a little 
commentary for the men, for single men. If you're married, it's done. <laughs> but for the single men, I know you look at beauty with your eyes, what you perceive to be beauty. But when you walk by faith, not by sight, when you walk by faith, the Lord himself will show you what real beauty is. It's godliness. It's righteousness. Worldly beauty, it's fake. And it fades easily, quickly. But godliness, that's eternal. Righteousness, it's eternal. If men, if you're married, it's a done deal. But for you single men, walk by faith. Walk by faith. Not by sight. And then you'll see beauty for what it really is. In verse 12, we kind of have like a little segue here, which is going to take us all the way to Deuteronomy and deep into Deuteronomy, to the end of Deuteronomy. Verse 12 here. Now the Lord said to Moses, go up into this Mount Abarim. This is like, you know, a separate issue. Not that we're done with, you know, Zelophehad and his daughters, but I guess in a sense, we're not done, but I meant the subject matter changes here. In verse 12. Now the Lord said to Moses, go up into this, this Mount Abarim and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. So uh, God is telling Moses, hey, you know, go to this high point. I'm going to show you the land that, was, that I promised Israel. Now, Mount Abarim is a range. It's like a mountain range. Mount Nebo is the highest point within this mountain range. A lot of mockers today, they say, well, wait a second. Did, did Moses go to Mount Nebo or did he go to Mount Abarim? Which is it? And the mockers will say, you see, there's a contradiction in the Bible. There's no contradiction in the Bible. When people tell you that they're exposing their own contradiction, which is their life. The contradiction is your life for the mockers. Oh, the Bible has so many contradictions, so many contradictions. No, it doesn't. You're the contradiction. Because your life does not align to the Word of God. You refuse to align your life to the Word of God. You need to hear the tutor. You need to hear the schoolmaster, which is the law. And in the law is death. The wages of sin is death. You come to Christ. Where there is life. He's the one who says, I am the life. He, those are his words. I am the life. You see, I don't know about you, but I want to live. <laughs> Do you? But he, he says of himself, I am the life, but no period. He is also the truth. And he is the way. These mockers of these last days. Oh, there's so many contradictions. Look, it says Abarim here, but then in Deuteronomy it says Nebo. No, Abarim is a mountain range. Nebo is the highest point on that range. And we're going to study that more when we get into our Deuteronomy studies. And the Lord is saying, you know, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you the land that I promised to Israel. In verse 13, and when you have seen it, 
you also shall be gathered to your people. In the Hebrew, it's to be taken away and gathered to your people. Very interesting. You know, as New Covenant believers, there's this a generation that shall not see death. They will also be taken away. Very interesting, these parallels we see Old Testament and New Testament. You shall, uh, you shall be gathered to your people. And people here in the Hebrew, is, it translates as a flock, as attendants, and then also as troops. Does that ring a bell? Flock, attendants of the Lord, unto the Lord for His glory. And then also as troops. Very interesting, these wordings we see. The alignment in Hebrew and Greek. The alignment of Old Covenant and New Covenant. Old Testament topology. You shall also be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, was gathered. You see, remember Aaron died. Even Aaron died. And even Moses must die. Do you know why? Because the first generation cannot pass into the promised land. There needs to be death. Old Testament and New Testament, the first generation cannot enter the promised land. You say, wait a second, do you mean that I can't go to the promised land, but I can't go to heaven, but my kids can? No. I'm talking about the first generation in accordance to Adam, of which you and I were born into. Are you born again? Because when you're born again, it's that generation that enters the promised land. You see? For in the wilderness of Zin, he says in verse 14, during the strife of the congregation, you, Moses, you rebelled against my command to hallow me at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Remember our study through chapter 20? When the Lord says, Moses, speak to the rock. You know, the people were thirsty. We want to drink. We want to drink. Moses goes to the Lord and the Lord gives him instruction. Moses, speak to the rock. And Moses, in his frustration, struck the rock twice. The disobedience of Moses. The first generation must die, not to exclude Aaron and not, not to exclude Moses. Does that mean that Moses is over and done with? No, he's going to be gathered with his people. Some translations say to die and join your ancestors. But don't forget the transfiguration. Jesus in his glorified body. Jesus, how he was radiant. But who was also with him? Moses. You see? First generation must die. The old man must die. The old woman must die. And I speak of you and I speak of me. Our old nature, my old man, your old man, or your old woman must die. You must carry your cross. 
And don't forget the cross is an instrument of death to crucifixion. Just as Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. So too, you can say, I am crucified with Christ. Do you say you're crucified with Christ? If so, praise be to the Lord. But I tell you what happens in the majority of Christians I speak with. Oh, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. Okay. Praise be to the Lord. Oh, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. Okay, okay. What's up? Why are you going to the strip clubs? You tell me you're crucified with Christ. Why are you going to the strip clubs? I don't see crucifixion, brother. I love you and I don't want to hurt your little feelers. But if your little feelers are being hurt by what I say, you know, I can't help it. I don't want to hurt your little feelers. But you tell me you're crucified with Christ. Why are you going to the strip clubs? I don't see crucifixion. Oh, but I'm crucified with Christ. Okay, okay, okay. What's up with these lines? Why you a tax cheat? What do you say these oh little white lies, little white lies, okay? Little white lies, what about your little white lines? Your little white witchcraft. Your little white Buddha. You want to gloss over it and say, call it little white, whatever. But sin is sin. You tell me you're crucified with Christ, but you know, brother, I love you. Sister, I love you. But I don't see crucifixion. Oh, don't judge me lest you be judged. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I don't say these things to hurt you. But what happens when a person takes the plank out of their own eye? It's one thing if somebody has a big old, you know, uh, big old piece of brick of wood, a block of wood in their face. But what about the soul who has removed that? So that he or she can see clearly. And when this person who sees clearly says, put down the crack. Put down the sex. Put down the strip clubs. Cut it out with these little white lies. Put down the Buddha. Put down your witchcraft. Oh, don't judge me lest you be judged. That's not judgment. That's a friend. That's a brother. That's a sister who loves you and is trying to save you as through fire. Just as Brother Jude says. You see, the first generation must die. And when the first generation dies, for you and for me, born into Adam, that generation dies. And then you and me are born again. And we carry our cross. And don't forget, even the Lord himself, Jesus Christ, our patriarch, had help 
carrying his cross. Our Lord himself had help carrying his cross. Don't ever forget that. Because some crosses are heavy. I'll help you. And you help me. The instrument of our death. Being crucified with Christ. You see? Oh, but I'm crucified. I'm crucified. Are you brother? Are you sister? You see? Let our aroma be sweet unto the Lord. Because we're their stench. And I tell you from experience. Where there is stench, there is no obedience. And where there is stench and no obedience, there is no crucifixion. And death is required for paradise. Spiritually speaking. You see? And uh, spiritually and literally, you know. But there is a generation that shall not see death. Even Moses. Even Moses. The Lord takes him up to the mountain. Look, Moses, I'm going to show this to you. Now, some people, the mockers of these last days, oh, that's so cruel. Look how God, he's saying, look, you can see it, but you can't have it. That's so cruel. Why would God do that? You want to serve that God who's mean? They're misunderstood. Their life is the contradiction. There's a better paradise. It's none of this world. And so we see this here in verse 15. I love this so much. The Lord, you know, the Lord already told Moses, you know, Moses, in in our study in chapter 20, the Lord already told him, look, Moses, you know, you're going to die here in the wilderness. You you were disobedient. The Lord already told him. And so this is like a little reminder for Moses. You know, Moses, I didn't forget. I'm going to show you these things. And I love verse 15 so much. You know, what what starts here in verse 15? I love the heart of Moses. Then Moses, in verse 15, spoke to the Lord, saying, Now, you say, what is Moses going to say? Oh, is he going to have the poor mimis? Oh, woe is me, woe is me. Oh, Lord, you know. No, you don't see that. You know what his first concern is? Look at what he says here in verse 16. This is what Moses says. Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man or Muster and appoint a man, as it translates in the Greek, over the congregation. How how beautiful is this? The heart of Moses was not on himself. But his heart and his love was for Israel, the people. Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, Set a man, muster and appoint a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. That's the heart of Moses. That's the heart of an overseer. That's the heart of a pastor. And this word shepherd translates in the Hebrew. To tend and feed as friend 
and also in the Hebrew translates as pastor. That the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Look at the heart of Moses. The Lord says, Moses, look, I'm going to take you up to this mountaintop and I'm going to show you the, the promised land, but you can't go, Moses. And Moses didn't have the poor Mimis. His concern was for Israel. Lord, let not the people be like sheep without a shepherd. They need a leader to tend to them, to feed them. Set a man over the congregation. In verse 17, who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. In verse 18, and the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua. Another type of Christ, Yeshua. Take Joshua. Remember, the assistant of Moses who was undefiled when Israel was defiling herself. And Joshua was undefiled. You see, even when Israel wanted to go back to Egypt, not Joshua, not Caleb. You see, an Old Testament example of a beautiful remnant when Israel was defiled with the golden calf and defiling themselves, you know who was outside of that camp? Moses and his assistant. Joshua, a type of Christ, Yeshua. How beautiful is this to see this next generation of righteousness? And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. A man in, in whom is the Spirit. Notice capital S. Very rare. Very rare in the Old Testament will you see the indwelling of the Spirit. Most of the time in the Old, the indwelling of the Spirit, you see it in the, in the New Testament, in, in the New Covenant. In the Old Testament, a lot of the majority of time, you see the uh, the Spirit of the Lord as like as a covering. Very rarely do you see the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. With Joshua, you see the Holy Spirit in whom is the Spirit, a type of Christ. Moses as a type of Christ. Leading the people through the wilderness. Joshua as a type of Christ. Leading the people into the promised land. You see? What does Christ do for you today? He leads us. Through our life. Through our life decisions. Through our life's choices. through Just through life. He leads us. If you listen. If you obey. He leads But then it doesn't end there. It's not just for this life only. If in this life only Christ died, we are of all men the most pitiable. I echo the words of Brother Paul. If it's for this life only, we're of, of, uh, of all men the most pitiable. It's not for this life only. 
Don't forget Joshua. Leading the people into the promised land. As a type of Christ, Joshua into Yeshua. Hamoshiach. The Messiah, the Son of God. Son of the Most High. Leading His people into paradise. Who has ears to hear and who will follow? A people of the way. A remnant according to this age of grace. Listen to our study through Romans 11. A remnant according to grace. And so we see here in verse 19. Set him before Eleazar, the priest, and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. Or it translates as appoint and set in order. This inauguration is to appoint and establish this order. Do it in their sight. Very interesting how we just got done with our study through 1 Corinthians. And what do we see? Order. Order in the church. And, you know, if you remember, hearken to our studies a couple Sundays ago, it's like, you know, you see in a courtroom, you're going to have rebel rousers in the court. What does the judge do? Order in the court. Order in the court. Bailiff, you get rid of the rebel rousers. Bailiffs, activate the bailiffs. One guy, two guys, three guys. You have a group of bailiffs. Sheriffs, they come out serving as bailiffs. Okay, the judge says, okay, order in the court. We're going to establish order in the court. We're going to take this guy. We're going to take this guy. We're going to take this guy. Uh, sir, you know, come with me. You have to, I'm going to escort you out the room, out of the courtroom. Okay, guys escorted out. Ladies escorted out. Other guy over here escorted out. This guy wants to go to blows. Okay. Two sheriffs come, three sheriffs come. We're going to pick you up and we're going to take you out. Order in the court. The judge is just sitting there observing, waiting for, waiting for these people to be excused. On his order, you know. Order in the court, order in the court. People come to silence, bailiffs. You saw these guys? Okay, take him, right? Ask her, escort her, him, him, all these people who stood up. You know, raising their fists. They're out. They had their chance, but now they're out. Everyone in the court, the jury, the observers, you know, uh, plaintiff, defendant, attorneys, everybody's just watching. You know, court reporter, everybody's just watching. The recorder, every, everybody's just observing. Silent. The sheriffs, the bailiffs, they're doing their thing, excusing these people. Okay, now they're out. Sheriffs come back in, go to their positions. Courtroom, court doors close. Okay, now let's resume things. The judge says, okay. Now we can resume this trial. Now we can resume things. The same thing happens in the church. You see? Paul, not serving as, you know, fi like final judge in terms of condemnation into hell. But Paul serving in the capacity of making judgment. Anacrino, diacrino. Making these assessments. And what does he say to the church in Corinth? 
the workers, the, these workers of iniquity, the workers of the flesh, anybody named a brother. We need order in the court. We need order in the court. Not courtroom, but in the courts, the church. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. I'm talking about the sanctuary. And not, you know, a building sanctuary. I'm talking about koinonia, the fellowship of the saints, the ecclesia, order in the courts. You see? Pastors, elders, overseers, you want to be defunct? Okay. For everybody, anybody among you named a brother who does this, 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 this. Don't even eat with such a person. They're out. Not out like they're going to burn in hell. Out like they're outside the camp. We need to close these doors and establish order. And once, okay, you know, once those doors close, okay, boom, let's get, let's get back to business here. Let's talk about marriage. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about uh, 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 the gifts of the Spirit. Let's talk about uh, 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 speaking in tongues, doing things in order. There has to be uh, an interpreter. If there's no interpreter, don't do it. And if people are going to speak in tongues, do two people, at most three, three max. Order. You see? The same exact thing is happening in the Old Testament. With Joshua. In verse 19, set him before Eleazar the priest and before the congregation and inaugurate to appoint and establish and set this order. Inaugurate him in, in their sight so the people see now. The people are going to see Moses, you know, laying his hands on Joshua. It's not just Joshua standing up and saying, okay, look, I'm the commander now. I'm, uh, I'm the head guy now. No, Joshua wouldn't do that. Even you see his humility, just like you see the humility of Moses, just like you see the humility of Mela, just like you see the humility of Noah, just like you see the humility of Hogla and Milka and Tirzah, the beautiful, beautiful daughters of Zelophehad. You see their humility. You also see boldness. You see courage. And the Lord says, do this before Eleazar, lay your hands and, 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 and inaugurate him in their sight. The people need to see this. They need to know that Joshua is my guy. Moses, you do this. Joshua is my guy. You're going to die, Moses. Look, I'm going to show you the promised land and you're going to die. You, were, you didn't hallow me. You see? Even the flesh of Moses, beautiful, beautiful Moses. A patriarch of the law, lowercase p. A patriarch of the law. A patriarch of a covenant. 
which is old, which was made with loopholes to make way for a better covenant. Hearken to our studies through Hebrews. You see? The people need to see that Joshua, he's going to be the leader. Joshua is going to shepherd. Can you, can you imagine the heart of Moses? When, you know, when, when, the Lord, when Moses cries out to the Lord, you know, <clears throat> let the Lord, in verse 16, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation. That the congregation of the Lord in the end of verse 17 may not be like sheep <clears throat> which have no shepherd. And then the Lord says, take Joshua. Can you imagine how blessed Moses must have been? Oh, beautiful Joshua. He wasn't, you know, I remember the golden calf. And I remember coming out of that cloud in our intimacy, Lord. And who was there right outside of this cloud? Joshua. Beautiful, beautiful Joshua. He was right there. And we came down the mountain together and we heard this roaring and this uproar. And what is this? And we turn the corner and we see the golden calf and all kind of, you know, mess in the camp. And yes, it was heartbreaking. But Joshua was undefiled. And when the Lord says, take Joshua, this is the guy. Imagine how pleased, how pleased, just the heart of Moses, I can die in peace. You know, I'm ready to die, you know. Israel, you know, I love Israel. I don't want them to be without a shepherd. And you know what? They're in good hands. They're in good hands. Notice, no family relation. Pastors, if you're a pastor and you're listening, no family relation. You know, not, because what a lot of pastors do they make their sons the co-pastors. They make their sons the elders. And church becomes a family business. If that's you, if you're a pastor and you're doing that, you need to repent. Choose the godly. Pray. Seek the face of the Lord. And He will reveal. And He reveals the godly. And most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, it skips bloodline, lowercase b, but it stays within bloodline, capital B. Those most close to the Lord Jesus Christ, the pastor of the church, capital P, Jesus Christ, the head of every church. If a church hasn't abandoned him, Jesus Christ as the head. Who is the heart? Who is the soul and who is the heart that is most closely aligned with the Lord? Jesus Christ. And the Word became flesh. I'm not talking about another Christ. I'm not talking about a guy who says, okay, I'm going to take the church. You're going to die and I'm going to take the church grave soaking. You're going to die and I'm going to take the church, teach them about crazy love in accordance to the flesh. You're going to die and I'm going to teach the church to take the mark of the beast and they'll be okay. You're going to die, and I'm going to teach a church anti-Semitism. I'm going to teach them replacement theology. Just like certain coalitions do. 
That's the flesh. That's pastors who treat church as a family business. Oh yeah, my son, I'm going to die. I'm old and I'm going to retire. And you know, you guys have been tithing and you've been funding my 401k. You've been funding my retirement. I got my, 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 my house in Boca. You guys have been funding it. I got my house in the Palisades. Everything's going to be fine and dandy. I'll just be in Malibu. I'm going to retire. And look, my son, he's godly. He's going to teach you how to go grave soaking. You see, that's garbage. No, who is the one that is aligned with Jesus Christ? More than likely, if you're a pastor, more than likely, it could be your son. But more than likely, it will not be your son. It might be your son in Christ. But it won't be your son in Adam. A lot of pastors do that. Woefully ignorant. Willfully ignorant and woefully ignorant. Treating the church as business. Don't do that. If that's you, repent. Oh, I don't need to repent. I was 10 years old when I did the altar call. Just repent. Keep your heart soft before the Lord. You need to be right before the Lord. You need to be at peace with the Lord. Just as in the Old Testament, the people need to be at peace before the Lord. Not to exclude the Levitical priesthood and the Kohanim. Not to exclude them. Everybody, the entire camp of Israel needs to be right before the Lord. And I'm speaking of, you know, the Old Testament. But the entire camp of the church needs to be right before the Lord. Where that doesn't happen, repent. Repent, 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 repent. Old Testament, New Testament, what do you see? Repent, 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 repent. Return to me, come back to me, don't forget me. All through the Old Testament. Look at all the religious leaders of the Levitical priesthood and the Kohanim. Look at all these religious leaders throughout the ages. And the Lord chooses Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Amos, who says, I'm no prophet nor the son of the prophet. Amos himself says, I'm not a prophet. The Lord says, you're my guy, Amos. You're a prophet. I'm going to use you. What does that say about the priesthood? Who they themselves treated the priesthood as a family business. I mean, in accordance to the law. When everything was set in order in Leviticus and what we see in Numbers, you have the, the camp, you have the Levites and the, pre, and, and the Kohanim. What happens? Disobedience. Oh, but the law says, treat it like a family, treat it like a Look, we're Kohanim. Oh, look, we're Levites. This is what the law says. Okay, you're right. The law does say that. You're right, absolutely right. But who gave the law? Moses gave the law. Did he just create it out of nothing? Who gave the law? The Lord gave the law. Okay, okay. Since the Lord gave the law, what did he also say? It is also written. 
Don't forget, Eli and his wicked sons were killed by the Lord. Kohanim. You see? Then you have these beautiful examples of, you know, Joel, Hosea, Amos, Obadiah. Where the Lord says, hey, I'm going to use, you're my prophet. I'm going to use you. You see? Just as it is today. Just like we, we in these earlier passages, you have these beautiful daughters of Zelophehad, these five beautiful, beautiful daughters, five beautiful, beautiful women, maybe young women, I don't know their ages. Maybe the oldest was like 30, maybe the youngest was 10, I don't know. Beautiful nonetheless. Do you see what's happening here? And they acknowledge, yes, our dad, you know, he saved us from Korah. Korah was crazy town. And now that we're old, we see, you know, he warned us when we were younger. I didn't really get it. But, you know, now that I'm older and I can understand, I can comprehend these things. Wow, dad really helped us in this area. But this I have against him. He died in his own sin. For this younger generation or any generation, if you're hearing my voice today and your parents are straight up loco, crazy town, in work, in deed, or in doctrine, you stand for Christ. You make your stand. Make your stand because these days are evil. These days are wicked. I am terrified for the church. Because remember the four categories? The last day's church is either false, apostate, entering apostate, or it is true. Among those four categories, that's a 25% margin. And among that 25%, we have Virgins, and I speak spiritually, virgins, purity, praise be to the Lord, awaiting the bridegroom, praise be to the Lord, oil, praise be to the Lord, lamps, praise be to the Lord. Among that 25%, we see something beautiful among these virgins, the populace, the numbers, the census of this 25%. Except something happens. 50%. 5 out of 10. Run out of oil. They have no oil for their land. They might have oil today. But they don't have enough. When the darkness comes. I could say darkness is coming. Darkness is already here. All these Christian pastors in Canada being arrested. But yet you have all these religious leaders of other religions. They can Everything's fine and dandy for them. They can meet in the street. They can do this. They can do that. But the Christian pastors are being arrested. In the UK, Christian pastors being arrested because they teach the Bible. 
what the Bible says about marriage between a man and a woman. It's The Bible is being defined as hate speech in accordance to this world. And it's going to get worse. The darkness isn't coming. The darkness is here. And the unwise five, they have oil. But they're going to run out. And we're already seeing it today. The foolish bride is being exposed as they run out of oil. And yet the clarion call of God still remains, come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. There's a better camp. The door is still open. There's a better camp. And it's the camp of Christ. Store your oil, bride. Store your oil because the days are getting darker and darker and darker and darker. Store your oil because that is for you. And so we see this here in closing, verse 20. And you shall give some of your authority to him. Now this is the Lord saying to Moses, you shall give some of your authority to Joshua. But authority here in the Hebrew is you shall give some of your honor. Honor and glory and grandeur and beauty to him. Now, the glory of Moses was that of the Lord. Remember the, the, the Lord was, you know, the people were kind of freaking out because they were like, whoa, Moses, you look different. Your countenance is different. You're like glowing. Because he was with the Lord. His glory was that of the Lord. His honor was that of the Lord. His grandeur was that of the Lord. His beauty was that of the Lord. There are godly people that I know. Men, women, the majority of them old. (laughs) Some young, but the majority old. They are among the most beautiful creatures I have ever seen in my life. And it's godliness. Their honor is of the Lord and is the Lord himself. Their glory is the Lord. Their grandeur is the Lord and that of the Lord. And their beauty is the Lord and that of the Lord. Jesus Christ inside of them. Amongst the most beautiful creatures I have ever beheld. Godliness. Righteousness. A beauty that never fades. It is eternal. The Lord says this, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. May be obedient. You see, and that's what we're going to see. We're going to study this hardcore in Deuteronomy because you're going to see this, this divide among the congregation of Israel. And the divide is this disobedience and obedience. And the people need to choose for themselves. Just like as New Covenant believers, we have obedience on one side, disobedience on the other side, and you must make a choice. Which route will you go? 
Oh, I'm predestined, I'm predestined, I'm predestined. Listen to our study through Romans 9. Predestination, biblical predestination. Not predestination according to the uh, Reformed theory people. According to the Calvinists. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not a Reformed theory person. But I mean, I mean biblical predestination. Biblical predetermined destination. Do you have GPS? You do GPS on your phone? You say, I don't know where I'm at, but I need to get from point A to point B. I want a burger. I want a hamburger. So, you know, I, need, I don't know where I'm at. I need to get a, a burger. I need to get a pizza. I need to get a coffee. I don't know where I'm at. So you input on your phone, pizza, you know, a hamburger or whatever. You're predetermining your desired destination. You're at point A and you're predetermining your point B. Now you hit go and you listen to the phone. You listen to your GPS. Turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right, go straight, turn right, turn left, U-turn, all these things. You have to have ears to hear. And then you have to obey. When GPS says turn left, you turn left. When GPS says turn right, you turn right. Otherwise, you will be lost. If you don't do that, you will be lost. When you're at point A, you're predetermining your destination. In order to get to point B, requires obedience. You see? That's a nutshell of biblical predestination. Listen to our study through Romans 9. And then while you're at it, might as well just listen to 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Which will address that and even more so in accordance to the teachings of not in accordance to the teachings of uh, Reformed theory, but in accordance to those teachings which uh, refute Reformed theory. Because it's just a theory. Replacement theology, which is very common and growing amongst the Reformed theory people. Supersessionism. Uh, Replacement theology. God is done with Israel. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Don't believe it. I don't care what coalition you read from children's books from a specific coalition teachers from a specific coalition acclaimed men teaching replacement theology fools acclaimed by who you see very treacherous days that we live in And the remnant will shine even brighter. Whose beauty, whose glory, whose honor, and whose grandeur is that of the Lord. Look what happens here in closing. Verse 21. He, speaking about Joshua, he shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire before the, the Lord for him by the judgment of Urim. Now the Urim is the breastplate of the high priest. Remember we studied that in our, through Leviticus. Or even in uh, 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 Exodus, when the Lord was giving Moses the blueprints. And so here in, in verse uh, 21, uh, in the middle, At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in. He and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So you notice what's happening here with Eleazar and Joshua? So God is going to speak to the high priest, who's going to speak to Joshua. And what do you see here? An Old Testament example of order. I shouldn't say an Old Testament example of order. I mean, it's just straight up order. 
just like you see order in Corinth. Or the establishing of order. Whether or not order happens, they have a choice to make. Order is established, but the Lord doesn't make robots. Order is established in His Word. You and me, we have a choice. Whether or not we submit ourselves to the the, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, whether or not we submit ourselves to Him and yield to Him, we have a choice to make. We're not robots. You're not a robot. Do we choose obedience or do we choose disobedience? Oh, God predestined me. God predestined me. Was this predestiny in, in accordance to reform theory? Because if that's the case, I love you. And part of me wants to say, I hate to tell you. But another part of me says, I don't hate to tell you. You've been taught wrong. Oh, but my pastor says replacement theology that God is done with Israel. That's nice. Who is this guy? Oh, look, he's this acclaimed guy. And look, he had this coalition. He teaches this. He teaches that. He's head of this coalition. That's nice. I don't care. He's just a man. And he also needs to read his Bible. And study. He needs to go back to the elementary things because he's teaching garbage. And if he doesn't repent, you know, I'll call him a false teacher. And since he hasn't repented, he is a false teacher. Which will rise in the last days. They're going to be everywhere. The population of false teachers will rise in the last days. The population of the wolves will rise in the last days. The population of the false Christs will rise in the last days. What does that say to the remnant? Be wise. Be a Berean. Be on guard. Stay frosty. You see? In verse 22, So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. You start to see this leadership of the next generation. The first generation must die. Not to exclude Aaron. Not to exclude Moses. They themselves have to die. Because the second generation, an Old Testament example of being born again. And don't forget, Moses was at the transfiguration. A better paradise awaits. A better promised land awaits. Yes, there's this promised land of Israel. You have this rise of the anti-Zionist movement today from the Reformed theory people, much of whom teach from certain coalitions. Oh, God is done with Israel. God is done with Israel. I'm anti-Zion, anti-Zion. In this rise of the Antichrist spirit, which occurs at the last days, is anti-Zionism. Anti-Semitism, which turns into anti-Zionism, which will reveal the Antichrist. Who will sit in the temple of God proclaiming to be God. Speaking all kinds of wicked abominations and pompous words. In accordance to the prophecies of Daniel. 
and the very ones who can identify such a person indwelt by Satan are those of the remnant who this Antichrist will kill in the last days. You see? And prophetically speaking, it will be given to him to have power over the saints. He will prevail against the saints. You see? Prophecies. They're coming to pass. Not just one, not just two, many. Store your oil. Store your oil. Because these days are evil. In verse 23, in closing, and he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. You see Moses' continual obedience. You know what's so beautiful? You see the obedience of Moses, even though the Lord reminded him, you know, I'm going to show you the promised land, but you're not going to the promised land. You're going to die, Moses. And you didn't see Moses just throwing the towel. Okay, I'm done. Since you're, since you're done with me, Lord, I'm done with you. You don't see that. You don't see that. That's what you see in the church today. Well, you know, since you know me, you're not blessing me anymore, Lord, so I'm just, I'm done. You're not blessing me like the way I want to be blessed. You know, I want this. You're not making me, you know, I buy all these lottery tickets. I pray. I fast for these lottery tickets. I go into the, to the casino and I pray. I fast a week before casino and I go to casino and I win nothing. In fact, I lose $1,000. I lose $10,000. I lose whatever. So you're not blessing me, Lord. Okay, I'm done. No more. I'm going to go back to Diana. I'm going to go back to Buddha. I'm going to go back to the sex, to the crack, to the meth, to the whatever, marijuana, to the strip clubs, to this, to that. I'm going to go back and do my little white lies. And you know what? You know what they're doing? They're going back to Egypt. An Old Testament example of returning to Egypt. That's what happens. But with Moses, obedient to the Lord. Obedient to the Lord. To the very end. Even when the Lord says, Hey, promised land is here, but it's not for you right now, Moses. There's a you know, there's a better promised land. A little little private conversation. You see? Accounted to Moses for righteousness sake. And where do we see Moses? The transfiguration. In his glorified state. You see? How beautiful is this to read the Old Testament, these passages in Numbers as New Covenant believers, and then also as New Covenant believers to read through the New Covenant, to have this understanding, this base plate of the law. And we get the full counsel of the Word of God, understanding His character, what He likes, what He dislikes. Now, from chapter 28, you know, we're going to see like this period of time, less than a year, but we're going to see this period of time, this in this gap of time before Moses goes to Mount Abarim, which is the range. He, he goes to Mount Nebo, which is the high point within Mount Abarim. In, in verse 12, you know, you see Mount Abarim. But we're going to see within the, less than a year, several months, but less than a year, Moses 
pours his heart and soul into the people. And that's what we're going to look at when we get into We're coming to the close of Numbers. We're going to be here for a little bit, but we're coming to the close of Numbers. And we're going to see it hardcore in Deuteronomy. Moses just pouring his heart and soul into Israel. Just as we also see another servant by the name of Paul. When he says, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. Pouring his heart and soul out for the church, for the saints, for you and me today, even to this day. His life as a drink offering, a beautiful aroma unto the Lord. You see what beautiful patterns we have. A people of the way surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us be a people who walks, who runs our race. Shedding off those things which so easily ensnare us. Whatever it might be, put it down. Whatever it might be, give it up. Store your oil. And let us be a people that continues on to paradise. God bless you, beautiful people of the way. I love you.